Welcome to Emergence Magazine's podcast. I'm Emmanuel Vaughn Lee, executive editor of Emergence Magazine, located on the unceded ancestral lands of the Coast Miwok people of present-day Marin County. Each week, we feature a new interview, narrated essay, or story, exploring the threads connecting ecology, culture, and spirituality. How do we orient ourselves in times of isolation and disorientation? As birder and writer J. Drew Lanham encounters his backyard during the pandemic lockdown, he designates it as a newly sanctioned wild-like refuge. A place that is brimming with life as he notices the wildlife that inhabits the nearby, far away. Wildness often visits me on a whim, on the edges of a pre-dawn dream or in the breeze of some imagining of being somewhere other than my state of mind or place. Since childhood, I've wondered what wildness waited around the next bend on the narrow woodland path. What skittish fish swam beneath the dark creek's flow? grinning at my hook, refusing to be fooled, saying no to the baited ruse. What rare wild bird skulked unseen before flushing from the tangled thicket, making my heart rush? From farm boy wandering dirt roads, looking up and wishing for the freedom of hawk's wings, to ornithologist doing the dirty work to save the lives of many feathered things, the threads of my life, my heart and mind, have converged on ideas of wildness born of my own conjuring. Most would define wildness as places unreachable without extraordinary effort, places far off the beaten path, places removed from our conveniences and our contrivances. Names like Denali or River of No Return or Bitterroot or Katahdin evoke the perception reinforced by legal definition that the extreme state of wildness known as wilderness is determined by a lack of access, roadlessness, and the absence of any apparent signs of human impact. But then, if we loosen the bounds a bit, let the leash on wild drop, perhaps we'll find it closer by. What would happen if we became aware of how wildness thrives on occasion under our noses in vacant urban lots? discernible by the unbinoculared, high-def glimpse of a bare, naked, squinted eye. If we listen on moonlit autumn nights with open minds and hopeful hearts, we can behold it flying over us where we are, journeying birds blessing us 
with the distant unimaginable in moments of nearby. My current refuge isn't designated as wilderness or wild or special by anyone but me. It is not tucked away in some far-flung corner of the world where access is granted only to those wearing high-end technical gear or with enough disposable time to wander without any cause other than wanting to. No, it is a journey of steps measured in feet and minutes, determined by the willingness of the local weather on the other side of the screen door to cooperate. There's no special name requiring acknowledgement other than the address to which it's attached. Backyard is the common nomenclature. Lots of people have them, but then again, lots of people don't. Like my wilderness jaunts, I see my green space as privilege, a privilege of ready, free access whenever the feeling hits. These days, any bit of at-will coming and going without masking or concern for who I might encounter there is privilege. Maybe there should be some sort of sign at the entry gate between screened porch and worn fake grass mat. It could say, J. Drew Lanham, Wild Like Refuge. Established March 16, 2020. Okay, perhaps a little pretentious, but then what's sheltered me mentally more than anything during this plague has been this piece of worn-down Piedmont ground. The day the refuge gained official standing beyond the idea of it swirling in my head was the beginning of the COVID quarantine. It was a day of a different kind of solitude. Sequester entered my lexicon as more than a concept applied to trial jurors, and remote became wild in not-so-desirable ways. The days of the backyard being an afterthought behind some curb-appealing facade were long past, as I've never been one for keeping up with the Joneses or whomever the neighbors might be. The back fence to back door trapezoid, surrounded by chain link, quickly became the go-to place. The trip to my outback is relatively stress-free. I haven't had to navigate highways or airport concourses. I've not had to consult smooth-voiced digital pathfinders. I know the trails by heart. The well-worn ways over worn carpet and through dim-lit halls. The obstacles aren't crevasses or canyons. They're the multiple blind corners of a 1970s split level with its cozy but small rooms, mail-order boxes heaped up to mesas and buttes, and an always indoor house cat whose suddenly wild decisions to zoom interleg present difficulties for my gigantic flip-flop-clad feet. 
when portaging across den via kitchen cut-through, highly processed provisions for laying on fat were readily available. My laptop was always optional, as the mobile phone provided at-hand portability for signing in to responsibility, or at least giving the appearance of it. The irony of it all was, is, that remote no longer meant out of touch, but it did, does mean, don't touch. Luckily, there are no grizzly bears or bison or geysers within reach or walking distance to confuse the issue. I touch flowers and frogs. That has been enough. My wild-like refuge required no funds or congressional debate for establishment other than the refinanced mortgage, now paid off, and the uncountable sums, maybe thousands, dumped into pots of allegedly native perennials that should have reestablished themselves without fail each year, they mostly haven't, and the annuals that were supposed to fade after their single-season bloomgasms, but have proceeded to become repeats. The coneflowers and both dark-eyed Susans, black and brown, hang on, but every other guaranteed easy-to-grow thing perishes in my too intense care. The lantana will not give up the ghost, and after almost 20 years, comes back bigger and bloomier every year to the delight of tons of butterflies, including monarchs, who will not discriminate against its non-nativeness. The ferns grow lush and invade at will. The dooryard violets, if so inclined to violence, do so quietly and beautifully in every single space. I keep the grass mostly mown, but encourage the clover and other non-grassy things to take hold. As for plowing, the moles do the job. I invest time each year in pulling a bit of privet here and there. The cedar wax wings laugh at the futility of it and shit it in the new, rich troughs of soil I expose. This wild-like refuge has few rules. I don't use insecticides. I don't plink squirrels, though they tempt my patients with their need to pilfer what I intend for birds and to gnaw and shred random things. Snakes, if non-venomous, are left to slither and hide in the gap-filled tool shed, under leaf litter, beneath the mulch, or in the woodpile. If fanged and potentially dangerous to family or Labradors, Chase and Luke, they are captured and relocated far away. I've constructed planting beds and a pond. I have fake waterfalls that look almost natural and wild, except there's no stream to feed the tumbling water. The pumps keep it miraculously revolving in little cataracts.
there are fish in the pond, goldfish and wild mosquito fish, which hardly ever show themselves. There are frogs lurking, bronze and bull and gray tree. Toads abound, too, American ones that don't boast of silly flags or standing for them at all costs. The wildness here is mostly mindset. There is little I can control for very long without constant effort. Entropy loves a garden, and in mine, entropy wins more often than not. Disorder makes love to tangles. The chipmunks have warrens underneath the roots of a dying Leland cypress. They ferry black oil sunflower from their subterranean hideouts to the woodpile like little drug runners. All of this makes my wild-like refuge not so much noteworthy as noticed by me, because I sit sometimes and take in what comes. The pandemic gave little choice other than the binary one to sit, stay alone, or potted, and live or get up, mix with humanity, get sick, and possibly die. I choose life. This suburban yard became a lifeline, a safe and mostly sane pandemic outpost. My daily expeditions to this repurposed place, just a few steps away from every convenience that makes life easier, have broken the concept of wild down into something adherence to true wilderness would deny is useful and perhaps might believe somehow harmful. Some might say my wordplay devalues what so many fought and still fight for across expansive plains, at the tops of tall mountains, or deep in ivory-billed woodpeckerless swamps. Some might say my ideas of the nearby faraway are a sort of sacrilege that will chip away at an idea too fragile to withstand intrusion. They might even call me an eco-heretic for not railing against the non-native plants I tolerate, for not preaching American plants only. I would counter their assertions. I am a wildling, born of woods and wetlands, which no one would question the wild nature of. I crave the far away, the remote, the places where I might be easy pickings for toothy, clawed things. I've been one of those fighting to ensure wild is recognized as hierophany, as a sort of sacred ideal to strive for. Wildness recenters me. It humbles. It inspires. The familiar chickadees, cardinals, titmice, wrens, robins, woodpeckers, finches, and others who have come like clockwork to the feeders offer a sort of certainty in the most uncertain time I've known. It is enticing to have them so close, but they are wild. I have no control over them. 
And on the shoulders of the equinoxes, the migratory warblers, thrushes, and grosbeaks ply the air over my head and sometimes, somehow, find my tiny backyard worthy of a stop, reminding me that there is a wilder world still alive beyond mine here. Being restricted to this small space over the past year and a half or so has invited new and expanded thinking. The scarlet tanager in its Peruvian place will keep company with harpy eagles. The chestnut-sided warbler snatching worms from my willow has seen jaguars in its Colombian winter home. I know the golden plovers in plowed fields close to my South Carolina home have seen polar bears and maybe fled from jeer falcons. The loon on a nearby lake has cried tremolo at the howl of the timber wolf. I dare not compromise such things. I want no control of wild howls or harpies. I only want more of them. I want nothing more than to stave off billion-bird declines by making certain that wild remains a priority where it must. But to do this, I believe wild must extend from those soaring mountaintops all the way to small fenced-in yards. From our idealized imagining of it all the way to that which we cultivate and create with our own hands. To know over the last year in this masked and distanced world that wildlife abounded so close by without covering up, so near without cause for alarm, was my saving grace. Yes, wild must extend all the way from efforts towards justice to exclamations of joy. In a trying time, this is a wildness I'm happiest to claim. Emergence Magazine is an initiative of Calliopeia Foundation. Our original essays, in-depth interviews, films, and rich multimedia explore the threads connecting ecology, culture, and spirituality. Our theme music is composed by H. Scott Salinas. This podcast is edited by Ben Solitiano. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever podcasts are found. To subscribe to our newsletter, order our new print edition, and check out more of our stories, visit emergencemagazine.org.